what's going on with dance and stuff what's happening with dance and things what's going on what's happening what's going on with dance and stuff hi <clears throat> and good evening it is 10 p.m thursday night and i am walking back home from a performance of narcissus by christopher williams at the at, uh, new york live arts I'm also walking, <laughs> I'm walking by, I'm on 7th Avenue, and I'm walking by Spirit Halloween, which is in the space that was more recently occupied by Barney's <laughs> on, um, between 16th and 17th, and there are people lined up for half a block to get into Spirit Halloween. I guess people are doing some last minute Halloween shopping, and I mean, this is... I'm obviously not going to enter or even get close to it, but they must have a lot of merchandise because that is a very big space. Um, <clears throat> and that is the state of New York at the moment where what was once a Barney's is now a transient Halloween superstore. And who knows what it'll be, you know, in a couple days. I guess Halloween is on Sunday, is my understanding, but I have no plan um, to do anything. Uh, we'll see. A couple of the people in Narcissus <clears throat> mentioned some Halloween plans to me after the show. Um, Narcissus is a show that I first saw previews of in oh, a long time ago, maybe like 2018. At Center for Ballet and the Arts, um, and Russell was a part of friend of the podcast. Russell Jansen was uh, a part of the creation of the work. He was cast to play Echo. Who? Oh, look, I don't know the story, and I just saw the show. I still don't really know the story, but I know it involves. Um, Narcissus, who I believe is like a mortal person, like a, a human figure who becomes enamored with his own uh, reflection and maybe dies because of it. Um, but anyways, there's another character who is uh, a kind of, gosh, I'm going to say all the words wrong who's a nymph, a sort of water creature kind of person whose name is Echo, and that was Russell, but Russell no longer is involved in this project, and um, good friend, another friend of the podcast, Mac Twining, did the part of Echo, was very beautiful. Taylor Stanley, another friend of the podcast, um, was Narcissus, <clears throat> and was astounding as usual and really um, how do I say this uh, you know Taylor's in a principal with the New York City Ballet and is accustomed to performing for you know a huge crowd huge crowd in a huge theater but really managed to kind of recalibrate the, the scale of their performance for, for New York Live Arts. Um, and that was a beautiful thing to behold a subtle Taylor Stanley. Oh, Taylor is, is by and large an understated 
kind of dancer, an understated dancer who moves at a huge scale. Um, it had beautiful music, incredible costumes by Andrew Jordan. Um, I had a lot of questions for Andy regarding construction techniques. And, um, you know, I like when costumes really make me wonder, you know, how, how they do it. And these costumes had, you know, many components that really uh, stumped me, I should say. Um, there was all this ring hardware on the costumes that was covered. They appeared to be covered in fabric that would match whatever fabric was kind of flowing out of the ring. And I, so I had to ask how that was done, but my guess was correct. My guess was that it was a kind of macrame technique where you like uh, braid or weave yarn over the ring themselves. And that was correct. I thought for a minute they might be like rubber casts uh, in very specific colors to match the fabrics, but that was not right. Um, There were some beautiful pleating techniques. There was a lot of really well-done digital printing, including digital printing that had to match flesh. There was a lot of very elegantly and finely done stretch rigging for these thongs that the men wore that had these kind of curly Q phallic sculptures attached to them that had to be suspended by a string around, around the abdomen. But it was all done in this like very delicate way. I mean, I was sitting in the second row of Nyla, so I mean, I could see I could see the ins and outs, but like had you been in a more conventional sized proscenium theater, I think all of this sort of structural engineering of these costumes would have really disappeared. Um everybody, oh, the second section was a sort of like human being party. Everybody came out in these extraordinary costumes, and Alan Good and Janet Charleston kind of led the parade of human people. And my eyes welled up. I just thought, you know, I want to see older people on stage dancing, people who have contributed so much to this field and who still have really important things to offer in terms of, you know, their physical experience, their physical mode of sharing. And it was, I mean, they're so extraordinary. And, you know, to have them in and among a very diverse group of people age-wise was so, it was so beautiful. Um, Shayla V. Jenkins was in it. Justin Lynch, friend of the podcast, was in it. Um... Gosh, who else? It's just great. I'm so happy I went. Thank you to Ryan Pliss, friend of the podcast, for giving me your ticket. Mark Morris was at the show. We waved. I said hi to a lot of people tonight. Joe Levasseur did the lighting, obviously one of the greatest in the field, and we had a nice chat afterwards. Um, it's amazing. It's like, you get a sense that like, when you get back into the theater, everything will be different. But 
we're all still here. We generally live through the whole thing and are still doing the jobs. Um, it's going to be one of those podcasts where I just talk <clears throat> as I walk down the street. My vocal cords are feeling a little taxed right now, and I'm not sure why. I think it's because I just spent um, like 45 minutes after the show talking at people through my mask in a crowded lobby. My, um, I don't have any vocal stamina, even for talking, as it turns out. Um, anyways, now I am in, I'm in the West Village, yes. Um, what was once really the neighborhood? I think when I was young, certainly, um, Christopher Street area, but... It is now very much, um, God, I don't know, this new breed of New Yorkers that are so devoid of any kind of uh, creative value. Um, I don't know what they all do, but just to look at them is distressing. Um, Many, many... Uh, straight couples dining al fresco in the cold. Um, uh, I don't know what they're talking about, finance and blowouts or something. Um, New York. Well, my Aunt Jane was just here for a while. And I think for a few days, she kind of fell back in love with New York City, a place where she lived for many years. But, you know, in the 80s, when it had, you know, a great deal more character than it does now. <clears throat> and after those few days, then she realized that it is, in fact, a totally exhausting place to live. Especially, you know, as I think as a visitor, it's especially exhausting. As someone who is settled in, you know, you have ways of conserving your energy and you know, like I, I, I went home after work today and had a nap um, for a few minutes and made myself some pasta before I went to the show. And it's just things like being able to do things like that sort of changes everything about the experience of living here. And, I, you know, I do like living here. I, I love New York and it has everything that I need to kind of cultivate the avenues of thought that I'm pursuing in my work, etc., But it is distressing to see um, the kind of people that New York City is now cultivating by the very nature of how expensive it is to live here. You know, it has really pushed pushed away um, people of lesser means, which is generally, you know, artists. Um, families so it's just all of these somehow wealthy people I don't know how everybody has so much money honestly um, I'm looking at a million jack-o'-lanterns um, I liked it in the pandemic when everything was just totally empty you could walk down the street and see nobody maybe I'm not really meant to live here forever maybe I am meant to go to somewhere very remote I don't know we'll see I hope that I can 
have the best of both worlds when I get older. I would like to I would like to have a home that I could you know make a project that I could make choices about um, furniture and wall colors and things like that you know that's a fantasy of mine um, to have enough means to have a home that is very particular uh, to me where I have made choices about surfaces and shapes and light and things like that I did recently watch on YouTube a video that this there's a real estate guy I don't know what their name is I don't subscribe but they do send me the videos um, and he generally he shows listed apartments in New York but he does luxury apartments and he was just showing an apartment that is on it's in some famous building that god what's the address it's one of those new famous um stick buildings that's just sort of like unfathomably high and also sort of takes up very little space geographically but it just like takes up an incredible amount of airspace just goes up 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 um i think it's on park avenue and it has like uh, unbelievable views of everywhere uh and it's right i think it's just south of central park um but anyways he showed an apartment that is in that building that is listed for um, $135 million. Yes, that's correct. I said it. $135 million. And this apartment is um, 8,000 square feet, I think is what they said. I don't know what that really means, but it's a lot. It's very big. It takes up the entire floor. It's a floor of this building. And I've actually watched since then another retail or uh, real estate listing video about a different unit in that building and it's laid out in a very similar way but the um, architectural choices um, the interior design are disgusting in the in the second video I saw which is actually listed at like 10 million dollars more than the one that I saw I think because it's the top floor of the building which doesn't really matter because the, the, the penthouse is the same exact um, layout as the other full floor apartment units in that building. But anyway, let's, I mean, I don't even know. Can you imagine that I've even thinking about this? Um, so the $135 million apartment was, was designed by some Japanese architect and had like really extraordinary surface finishings. I mean, it was wildly austere and all of the bedrooms were like hotel suites. They had these built-in beds and these automatic blinds and they had these also built-in desks, which I thought was odd. It just was like, there was no way that you could move into that apartment and 
kind of put yourself into it. It's like you have to become that apartment to live in it. You know, you have to become Japanese austerity and like special stones and everything in order to live in that apartment. I mean, there's not like there's, there's no real space to have your things because all the furniture is designed for the apartment already. It has these like these billion dollar tables and chairs and uh, I, I mean, essentially everything is custom built into the space. I mean, I suppose if you're buying a $135 million apartment, you're probably not a person who has mm, a lot of opinions about things. I mean, you, you know, as a, a Outside of just like, I have this extraordinarily expensive thing, like a yacht or an apartment or a castle. But, you know, you're probably not as concerned with like a colander or um, an ottoman or uh, a trunk. You know, I, you know like I, I can't imagine. I think those, those are not the concerns of somebody spending $135 million on an apartment. It's just so grotesque. I mean... Who is the person who's going to buy such a thing? I mean, some, like, oil baron from Saudi Arabia or one of these disgusting tech freaks from Silicon Valley who just wants to own a floor in a prestige uh, high-rise in Manhattan. Sick. Um, Anyways, we live in a diseased world um, as... (laughs) as you all know, um, where uh, extreme wealth has distorted and destroyed the way in which we treat each other, the way in which we interact, the way in which politics works, the way in which people have access to healthcare, all these things, like everything that separates healthy functioning societies from diseased and um, fascist societies is this wealth disparity. So, anyways, I continue to live here. I know I just, in, 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 in the same five minutes, I managed to say I love New York. It gives everything to me that I need. And at the same time, it's also, I live in a very diseased place. Um... I don't know that I'm I'm helping, but I I'm trying to not be a part of the problem. Anyways, let me talk about dance. I've seen some shows, definitely seen some shows. I'm back from Cape Cod. Stuart and I had a lovely time and managed to get along with one another for five days, which is great. I mean, really extraordinary, don't you think? For friends to see only one another for five days. We were sleeping in essentially the same room in cubbyhole beds. Um, We couldn't see each other from the beds, which is really good. Um, But uh, yeah, we had a great time. We ate a lot of lovely food and got through six and a half Harry Potter movies. And we also watched latest episode of Dope Sick and the beginning of the new season of Project Runway, the beginning of the new season of The Bachelorette. We walked on Empty Beach, which is definitely my favorite part. Um, 
Anyways, I went to Maria Karowski's retirement performance before we left for Cape Cod. And it was really... Gosh, I've been having a lot of feelings seeing dance performances post-pandemic because, you know, it's it's very moving to see people get out there and continue doing this and and especially to see people my age and older um, taking care of their body enough to do very sort of like physically high level dancing and also to like put themselves in sort of emotionally vulnerable situation of being you know looked at as a performer um I'm in my apartment building now but Maria Kurowski has been in the New York City Ballet since I think the mid 90s what is it now it's 90, oh, yeah, 30 years, something like that. Um, And for her retirement performance, she did some excerpts of, uh, she did an excerpt of Chacon with Russell and was beautiful. She did a new duet, Mora Bigonzetti, made for her for this season, for her retirement season. She did... Um, a duet from Christopher Wielden's DGV, which is a role that she's enjoyed performing for many years. And then she ended the show with the complete Slaughter on 10th Avenue, Balanchine, which is just such a phenomenal way to end her career at the New York City Ballet because it's really just... It's a, it's a comedy. It's a comedy ballet. Ballet... What is it? What would it be called? It's like a little play with dance and she's really wonderful in it and she seemed to be having the best time and you know Ask LaCour came I guess out of retirement you know two weeks post retirement to also be in it Uh, it was just so great Um, I'm eating a Sour Patch Kid I'm sorry very sour they had a bowl of Halloween candy on the desk at Nyla. Um, so she was having the best time. There were seemed to be no tears in the curtain calls. And there was an extraordinary parade of people who walked out one at a time to give her flowers. And not only each of the principal dancers in the company, but then many principal dancers from the past, her old partners, Jock Soto, Philip Neal, Charles Askegaard, Damien Witzel, Robbie Fairchild, um, Jennifer Ringer, um, all of the rehearsal directors, um, her husband, Martin, and who else? Michelle Rodriguez, her physical therapist. Um, I mean, it was endless. It was... It was so, so many people. And lastly, her son came out and it was so lovely. And I don't know. I have certainly, I guess I really have been reflecting on um, 
the passage of time and kind of what's the word projecting my own physical experience onto what these people are going through because you know I didn't have a conventional kind of retirement somewhere around the age of 40 from any kind of organization that I had sort of danced my way through which just isn't how I which isn't how my career unfolded you know I I was in several different ballet companies I was danced in many modern dance companies my career appeared to have ended I you know when I was around 30 31 years old and then it wasn't really I kind of continued coming back into projects and so I don't have any kind of like logical end of my dancing life and I I'm grateful that I haven't had anything so black and white as that because it's it, it makes it easier for me to kind of flow in and out of trying various dance things at different ages but you know if there's something really beautiful about giving so much time so many decades to one thing and then you know there's this moment where everybody celebrates you and you know it's heartbreaking and it's wonderful and um and now I am that age where you know many of these people are are doing that very thing and there are my you know peers and colleagues and so in a way I feel like I've had my own kind of retire psychological retirement um anyways that was Maria Krawski's retirement um Jeremy and Harriet and I went to see Giselle this past weekend and um with Isabella and James and they were wonderful and it's a great Giselle's a great ballet it's really it's a good story it's an appropriate length it's nice to see women get revenge um it also like does the thing that you want ballet to do where it's like you get to see these kind of military formations of ethereality um and Katie Williams was a great Myrta and um, yeah, we had a, we had a, we had a lovely time at the, at the ballet. We ran into, um, many people, uh, before, during <laughs> and after, um, but we ran into Adam Weiner and his husband RB at the intermission. Adam's mom was with them and how lovely to see old, old friends at the, at the ballet. I feel always like uh, I do have a special connection to other people who grew up in New York City Adam being one of the few um, that's a peculiarity what else what else have I seen I was going to go see Martha Graham yesterday but it was $61 so I I didn't I didn't go because I would have had to get a terrible seat at the Joyce for $61 I didn't do it um, been watching some stuff, still watching Claire Saffitz. Today she made pumpkin pie. Um, I'm all caught up on Dope Sick, which you shall watch because Aunt Jane produced it. And it's riveting. Um, 
I'm still trying to watch Foundation on Apple TV, which I don't. It's really slow and confusing. I'm enjoying the morning show. I'm enjoying Great British Bake Off, which is happening. Um, you know, and Jurgen and the Italian guy seem to be um how do people say how do people say this they're killing the competition that can't be right anyways they're the best ones um and but who knows who knows you know maybe crystal i think is her name is maybe she's a dark horse maybe she's gonna maybe she's gonna do something and win i don't know who got kicked off this week who got kicked off Someone going to tell me, oh, I know. Stop listening right now because I'm about to spoil if, you have, if you're not caught up. But um, the youngest competitor, that lovely young girl who was doing vegan baking, got eliminated, which was sad. I wanted to see more, more from her. I thought she was good. And she was great TV. I loved her accent. My God. To mumble in that way. Wow. Um, can you imagine having dinner with her family? We need subtitles. Um, so that, 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 all those things have happened. Um, how long have I been recording? Half an hour even. All right. Let's see what else. Harriet and I are very busy. We have a lot of projects going simultaneously. I've been doing a lot of studio organization. I pulled out, um, been starting to pull out some, you know, autumn clothing, the weather is, is shifting finally. And I wanted to wear a hat the other day. So I pulled out my gray wool hat from Merz Schwanen, which is a German knits company. I only have two things from them. I have this gray knit hat and I have a gray, uh, French Terry. Is it French Terry? Or is it like a fleece back jersey? I can't remember. I have a very nice sweatshirt, gray sweatshirt from Merz Schwanen. And I wanted to wash my hat. So I bought some wool light and I soaked it in a little pitcher with some cool water and wool light for a while. And I gave it a little agitation and I did it a few times and it came out beautifully. And I stuffed it with some paper to let it dry overnight. And what a nice treat you know, to take care of your belongings. Um, I took, I, I took Cunningham from Carol Teitelbaum yesterday. Um, because, um, on Monday night, wait, wait, what is it tonight? Thursday. I took class on Wednesday. So Tuesday, Tuesday evening, you know, I got, I, I, I caught a glimpse of myself from bad angle and I just spiraled into, um, back fat oblivion you know, and I know a lot of us have been there and I know I'm not so hard done by in, in that way, but I just, you know, I have disordered thinking from time to time about the shape of my torso. Um, so at any rate, I went to Cunningham class the next day because I was like, might as well try to do something about this. And, um, someone who I knew from Instagram, who also does digital, used to do digital Cunningham classes, as many of us did, um, named Isaac, who's an ice skater in Philadelphia, was there. So it was almost like, I felt like I was seeing a celebrity. I was like, oh my God, I know you from the Instagram. 
And also Anson was there, which is wonderful. And Christiana Axelson, who was also just in the show we just saw. Um, anyways, Carol taught. And then after the show, this is why I'm telling you, not the show, after the class, I went to the Belgian shoe store because I have, I finally feel as if my Belgian shoes that my mom got me for my 40th birthday are broken in enough that I can get them sold because you, the, the rule with those shoes that I learned is that you're supposed to wear them for two weeks. You know, if you were to wear them every day for two weeks, um, and then you bring them in when, where the, when the soles are adequately scuffed and then they apply a thin rubber sole to the shoe because the sole on these shoes is just in fact made of the same soft leather as the, as the shell of the shoe. Obviously, like, wrapped around some kind of, like, substantial surface. It's not like you're walking on the ground just with one layer of leather separating you in the cold, cold concrete. No, they're very, very comfortable, beautifully made shoes. So I finally felt that my shoes were in a state where I could get them, um, get the rubber soles. So I walked over to the Belgian shoe store on 55th, just off of Park Avenue, and what a strange and glamorous little shop. I mean, they sell one shape of shoe in many different fabrications. It has, this shop has gray wall-to-wall carpeting. And I mean, I know that sounds like I might be describing a kind of dire place, but it's it's luxurious. It's a tiny shop with this luxurious carpet and these custom-built wood walls with, 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 beautiful finishings for the shelves for the shoes and these upholstered benches to sit on and try on your loafers. It's, it's just like the height of comfort for trying on shoes because shouldn't we all get to kind of walk around on plush wall-to-wall carpet when we're trying on soft Belgian leather? Um, at any rate, there's these like, you know, do I want to have $135 million dollars? No, but is it nice to occasionally have a $500 pair of shoes? Yeah, I mean, there it, it, it's different. It's different than, you know, any old pair of shoes. And I, I do believe there's a culture around these shoes in particular, Belgian shoes, where, like, rich douchebags wear them, like... Look, I, I, that's, that is... That's harsh to say that, but like, I do believe there's a culture of wealthier people who like to wear these shoes as their everyday shoes and kind of really break them in and wreck them. And that is not a situation or privilege that I have. Like, these are my very special shoes. So I'm going to take very good care of them and keep them in their satin lined shoe bag and stuff them with paper so their shape remains blah 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 are you so bored right now isn't this insane anyways what was even the secret topic this week i don't know maybe it was um extreme wealth maybe that was the secret topic for me um anyways i think it's a it's a short week i want to I want to get the podcast up. I want to get a good night's sleep. Harry and I are going to do some intense watching tomorrow in the garment district. Um, and yeah, hopefully I'll have a guest next week. I was meant to have one this week, but
but I'll, 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 hopefully they'll be with us next week. And, um, so I'll just let it be a surprise. Um, but anyways, thanks for listening, whoever's out there. And, um, I'll see you next week. Halloween. Happy Halloween.